This is episode 16 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, December 28th, 2021. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the angry programmer with a mic, Brian Bemrose. Hey, I finally reached double digits on my episode numbers. One of the hardest lessons to learn about podcasting is consistency. Human beings are creatures of habit, and if you release your show at the same time every week, people who subscribe come to expect it, even to the point of thinking something's wrong if you release a couple hours late. For the first few weeks of Angry Tech News, I wasn't very consistent. I was trying to find which day worked in my schedule, and it wasn't until about episode six that I settled on a Tuesday release. And unlike a lot of other podcasts in the community, I don't record ATN live, so it shouldn't matter if the schedule moves around a bit. After all, it's a podcast using an RSS feed, which is, by its very nature, asynchronous, right? But it does matter. Even when the show releases only a few hours late, I get pings at my Mastodon account at sirbemrose at noagendasocial.com. These people are producers, and they want their scheduled ATN fix, so I try to accommodate. For the last 10 episodes, ATN has been released on Tuesday evening, left coast time. Wednesday morning, if you're in the eastern U.S. and don't want to stay up late waiting. One day, two weeks ago, I recorded episode 14 live on a Thursday on the No Agenda stream to hundreds of people immediately after the Thursday No Agenda show. It was a special occasion that I thought everybody'd just be cool with. But delaying the episode by two days was long enough to prompt more than a dozen notes on Mastodon, in email, in the IRC troll room, and even amongst my gaming group, asking if I was okay and is there a problem with the episode. The hosts of one podcast in particular, which I won't name, but it rhymes with Abel Kirby and Cold Acid, even had a brief segment where they were highly confused, claiming my release schedule was switching around, or that I only put it out when I got angry enough. Spoiler alert, it's not switching, it's Tuesday. I say so in the cold open of every episode. But this is how I can tell that Angry Tech News is important to you people. Lesson learned. If I'm going to stream on a Thursday, I still need to put something out at the normal time. Creatures of habit and all that. It's podcasting advice that Adam Curry of No Agenda has been giving for years. And now that I'm finally doing a solo show, I'm getting it. So to all of you producing the show, keeping me on schedule, sending me pings whenever I slip, keep at it. I won't promise the schedule will never slip. After all, I am the world's foremost procrastinator. But I will promise you that you'll get your angry tech news, even if I have to drag these tech stories out back and beat it out of them. Oh, and Rare Encounter, bro, do you even Tuesday? From the Alexa, donate to angry tech news department. Amazon is having an engagement problem with their Amazon Echo product, according to a report by Bloomberg. Are people finally waking up to the privacy dangers posed by sending audio data from your home up to an unaccountable corporation to be cataloged and sold to the highest bidder? Not hardly. According to internal planning documents, Bloomberg doesn't say exactly how they got their hands on those, the problem is that the devices simply can't hold people's attention. The Echo sells well enough. Up to 25% of U.S. households have at least one of these listening devices, and nearly everybody tries it at least once. Amazon's numbers show that 15 to 25% of new Echo users are no longer active into their second week of ownership. If you got it in Christmas, that means you're not using it in January. 
and that even the ones that do continue to use the devices rarely use any feature they don't learn in the first hour of having the device. According to the documents, most Echo devices are used only to play music, set a cook timer, or turn on and off lights. Advanced features like ordering products, you know, the features that Amazon makes money from, are only used by a small fraction of users. Amazon has recently stepped up the annoyance factor while using the device in order to address this engagement problem. Ask it for the weather and you might get, by the way, I can recommend birthday gift ideas so you can buy more things from Amazon. Personally, my favorite feature of the Echo has always been its inability to distinguish the voice of its owner from, say, a smart-ass podcaster who says things like, Alexa, play Celine Dion on repeat. The security implications of this are as staggering as they are disregarded by device owners for whom convenience trumps security. There is nothing like the sheer and utter convenience of being able to talk to your kitchen timer to make you ignore this kind of infringement on your infringement on your privacy, to ignore the multiple high profile cases where the company has collected and stored sensitive audio recordings or the even higher profile cases where the device has called police or emailed private conversations to third parties because it misinterpreted something overheard from the next room. And to ignore the mailing lists, spam lists, and government watch lists you can end up on by saying the wrong thing in the privacy of your own home. Alexa, order 250 pounds of fertilizer and 30 gallons of fuel oil. Confirm. From the great company silly name department, DuckDuckGo has announced it is entering the desktop browser market. Browsing is big business these days, and nobody is bigger than Google with its Chrome browser, which makes the company money by feeding user data into the Googleplex, a giant machine that transforms your online activity into advertising dollars and censorship. But a lot of users out there are starting to feel like maybe the value proposition of hand over all your data in exchange for getting advertised to is a bit lopsided, which is why we're seeing more and more privacy-focused browsers hit the market. To be clear, DuckDuckGo is not pushing their new browser as a privacy browser that you only launch when you're about to do something illicit, but rather an everyday browsing app that respects your privacy. The big feature being pushed is the blocking of unwanted trackers. According to their blog post, unlike tracking protection from the major browsers, we block hidden trackers before they load, which is pretty much exactly what successful ad blockers such as uBlock Origin do at least until Google manages to roll out Manifest V3 as an industry requirement. For more info on that, go listen to Angry Tech News number 4. Another class of blocked content seems to be anything from Facebook. Quote, This year, our browser extension got a new feature that identifies this content from Facebook, blocks it on websites before it loads, and gives users the choice to load the content if they want to. While I applaud any company that correctly recognizes content from Facebook as unwanted and harmful, I suspect they mean the trackers from Facebook.com, not necessarily the whole site. I applaud what DDG is doing here. Competition is healthy, and between Brave, Tor, UnGoogle, and lockdown versions of Firefox, it's a good time to be a privacy-minded web user. Still, statements like this make me think they might not know what they're getting into. Quote, Like we've done on mobile, DuckDuckGo for desktop will redefine user expectations of everyday online privacy. No complicated settings, no misleading warnings, no levels of privacy protection, just robust privacy protection that works by default. No settings. Yeah, a set of defaults that works just works for all users, for all their various needs and widely differing levels of technical know-how and paranoia. Hey guys, that's been tried before. It has never succeeded. Another interesting design choice from their press release. 
Instead of forking Chromium or anything else, we're building our desktop app around the OS-provided rendering engines, allowing us to strip away a lot of the unnecessary cruft and clutter that's accumulated over the years in major browsers. In Windows 10 and 11, at least, still the most common desktop OS, that means Edge, which is Chrome, which is kind of the very definition of cruft and clutter. Not sure what you're gaining there, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Oh, and this great feature from DuckDuckGo. They have a UI element called their fire button. They say, who wouldn't love the feeling of clearing all your tabs and browsing data with one fiery tap? Um, fiery? You can keep any ignition sources away from my computer, thanks. And any browser worth its salt already has the ability to delete browsing history. So you're going to hang your hat on a slickly named button? The press release continues with this definitive statement. Compared to Chrome, the DuckDuckGo app for desktop is cleaner, way more private, and early tests have found it significantly faster too. Cleaner, more private, and significantly faster than Chrome. Way to set the bar low, guys. Cleaner than a dumpster fire, more private than a packed sports arena, and significantly faster than a speeding glacier. You guys might want to set yourselves a slightly longer yardstick. From the Playing in Traffic Department, Tesla is in hot water with nanny regulators because of a decision they made to not nanny people who bought their cars. The U.S. National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has opened an investigation into Tesla over its so-called passenger play feature, which enables video games to be played on the video screen. The Tesla is effectively a smartphone with wheels. It has a large touchscreen in the center console. Like any smartphone, it can play games, which is a great way to pass the time in a parking lot or when you've been banished from Christmas dinner for talking politics. Originally, the computer in the car was locked such that the games would not run when the car was moving. But in December 2020, somebody at the company realized that the car can hold more than one person and that there could theoretically be people in the car who weren't driving. Thus was born Passenger Play where you could play games on the Tesla as long as you clicked through a stern warning dialogue that the games were only for passengers and that the driver should really be looking at the road. Earlier this month, the New York Times, the tattletale of record, published a story which pointed out that an unscrupulous and presumably suicidal driver could theoretically click right through that warning and play themselves a hand of solitaire while zooming past traffic. The NHTSA, ever ready to protect people from responsibility for their own actions, immediately opened the investigation. Distracted driving counts for a significant number of U.S. road deaths, 3,142 in 2019 alone, according to the agency. Wait, 3,000 deaths in a year out of 400 million people. Fast food kills more people. More people die annually from lead poisoning walking through Chicago. In 2020, more people died from COVID-related meth lab explosions. All those previous statistics were, of course, supplied by unnamed sources. In 2013, the NHTSA released guidelines which recommended that in-vehicle devices be designed so that they cannot be used by the driver to perform inherently distracting secondary tasks while driving. But the words guideline and recommend obviously don't mean we won't come after you if you don't follow it when an unaccountable government agency is involved. Okay, you want my opinion on this? Well, you're listening, so you're going to get it. Yes, distracted driving is damn stupid. I can't even imagine what goes through somebody's head. Oh, I'll just play me some solitaire. This red jack on the Black Queen is far more important than my life. I can't even comprehend what makes somebody do something that clinically and terminally retarded. 
If I'm driving and my phone rings, the only thing I'll do is fish it out and hand it to my passenger to answer. If I'm alone in the car, the person on the other end better leave a message because I'm not even going to glance at the thing till I reach my destination. But that said, the last thing I want is for an electronic device that I paid for, that I own, not the other way around, to tell me what I'm allowed to do with it. Whether it's a volume control that refuses to increase because it can't tell that it's plugged into a preamp and not earbuds. Oh, you might damage your hearing. Yeah. Or I might accidentally be able to hear my music or an app that refuses to launch because the accelerometer detects that I'm moving. I was on a bus, you stupid piece of anyway. I don't want software that thinks it's smarter than me. Oh, but without technology to tell us what's safe, some people will make bad choices and hurt themselves. Yeah, let them. It's called natural selection. So what should Tesla have done here? Well, my first preference is maybe don't have a single device that's both the smartphone and a car. My car has all mechanical linkages and a very dumb interface by 2020 standards. And I can still play solitaire in a parking lot because I also have a tablet that's not interfaced with the car in any way. Owning a Tesla is already a game of mother may I, where you have to ask the company, usually by way of added money and often through some kind of prolonged payment plan where you subscribe to your own car to please, please, please remotely turn on some software feature that's already in the car, but disabled until it gets a signal from the mothership telling it that you are allowed to use the device that you bought and paid for. Maybe I'm old fashioned. After all, personal responsibility is dying. People today just seem to wander through their lives bumping into furniture like a well-dressed Roomba until some representative from a corporation or government tells them what they are and aren't allowed to do. Me? I don't need an overconnected car to micromanage every decision in my life. I have a wife for that. Big thank you to Sean McCune for producing this episode of Angry Tech News. Without your sustained monthly support, I'd probably be complaining a lot more than I am right now. Angry Tech News is released on the value for value model. We don't take sponsors or advertising and we don't charge you to listen, but we are funded by your donations. If you got value out of listening to this show, please send some value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click the donate button to make a one-time or recurring PayPal donation. Send what you think this show has been worth to you, be it $5, $25, or $200. And I'm not really ready to announce this yet, but there's a good chance if you go to newpodcastapps.com and make sure that you're using one of the apps there, that Angry Tech News will have another support option soon. Assuming that I haven't completely messed it up, but that's another topic. That's it for me. My name is Ryan Bemrose, the Angry Programmer. See you next week for more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News with the Angry Programmer, Ryan Bemrose, at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry. Stay angry. Stay angry.